0: Turn in your Bibles if you would to 1 Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 15 through 17. That'll be the presiding sermon text today. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 15 through 17. If you're physically able, out of reverence for God's word, I'm going to read these uh, selection of verses from the NIV, let's be standing. First Timothy, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 from the NIV. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever, amen. Let's pray. O Lord in heaven, we pray that you would speak to us Through these holy scriptures, we're listening, we're obeying, let the Spirit lead us, guide us, convict us that we might better be your servants in the days ahead. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please be seated. I have been to more second-hand stores than I ever want to go to for the rest of my life. See, we moved my daughter into an apartment in Cincinnati, where she's gonna be for the next uh, school year, and we had to outfit her apartments. And there were some things that we already had, but it seems that she needed a lamp. We didn't wanna pay face value for a lamp, whatever that is. No, no, we're going to every single secondhand store there is looking for the right lamp. I don't like secondhand stores. I, actually, I don't like stores at all, so don't, t- don't take it personally. I've looked at more lamps. I tried the whole Bill Cosby thing, which is a sequence of threes. This is a secret. Don't tell anybody. This is how it goes. The first thing they bring, you say, oh no, I, I, that's okay, but I think you could do a lot better than that. The second time when they bring something, you say, now that that's better. I, I, that's really potential. I like that one. I think you should go look again, though. I think there's maybe something perfect. And then whatever it is on the third time, whatever it is, as soon as you see the third one, you're like, that's it. That's the one. You don't, don't bypass it. Don't start with number one, because then they're going to think there's something better. It's a sequence of threes. Well, even that didn't work. So I find myself browsing through used mugs used coffee mugs you know I'm talking about I don't know why but I look you know look at the pictures look at the sayings you you know the sayings already but I'm gonna read a couple of them that I have seen that I know that you know already laughter is the best medicine right Seen that life is a journey not a destination this one was a long one on the mug. Live each day as if it was your last. You all have heard these, right? Nothing is profound. These are all repeats. The best things in life aren't things. That's what I thought too. Believe in yourself. The best is yet to come. All right. I think. How did this saying fare for the person that sold it at the second hand store? But they they were motivational. I don't know that they accomplished anything. They just were catchy sayings. And maybe those mugs were not supposed to accomplish anything. After all, they're just to help you wake up. Maybe they're just supposed to be words, motivational for a time, but just words. You know what I'm talking about, because you probably get the same kinds of things I get in my text, in my email, everywhere I get all these flashy messages, thoughts for the day, thoughts for the moment. I used to have a calendar of sayings, I used to have a calendar where you would tear off, this is old school, you'd you'd tear off the page, and then it was the next one. with inspirational sayings. And I enjoyed them for the moment, but they didn't do anything. And I have now become very jaded about these little catchy sayings. I've got an attitude. And that attitude has affected even the Fayetteville Christian Church. Because I've got a chip on my shoulder about these little catchy sayings. And so therefore, the Fayetteville Christian Church. Does not have any catchy sayings. We have no slogans here. All the slogans we have are from previous preachers. Building bridges into into the community. That was back in Daniel Overdorf, wasn't it? Dan. Okay, so that was that was 12 years ago. But I like Daniels. I can't remember it offhand. I've got this one: Come, grow, know, sow. It's this alliteration thing. Um, All these wonderful slogans. So when somebody says, what's your slogan? I have trouble, because I don't know what our, we don't have a slogan, because I don't like slogans. Or uh, what's the little picture of things that's in the top left-hand corner? No, that's that's so modern of you, Pat. (laughs) Logos logos. We don't even have a logo, I I don't think, or we have past logos. Now, I'm telling you that that's not a good thing, because when somebody says, well, what do you believe in? I mean, what's this church stand for? I can't really clearly say... We exist to love God, love people, and in fact, if we hired an expert outfit, they would come into the church and they would say, listen, the first thing you got to do is come up with a vision statement and values and all these things, and we don't. And really, a lot of it is because of me, not just the coffee mug thing, but because of words mean little, but I'm wrong in that. I'm wrong because the church has always had memorable sayings that were used to guide life. We call them, not in the Christian church, we call them liturgies. they are things that, anybody ever grow up in a church with liturgies and you memorize these and you recite them frequently and so you know them so well? Maybe in the Christian church we don't say liturgies, maybe we call them hymns, hymns that we all know so well. And in 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, four of these liturgies or hymns occur. And we think maybe this particular passage is one of those because it is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, it's something that we should know and repeat and say. We don't have liturgies, but we have hymns. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. You know that one by heart, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You know that by heart. One of my favorite, tis so sweet to trust. Now, those are not actually in the Bible. I mean, the meaning is, but the words are not in the Bible. Those are things that we have said and recited so much that we know them at a very deep level they're bigger though than just the moments the little mug the best is yet to come is catchy but it's momentary but jesus loves the little children of the world man that speaks at a deeper level for a very long time today's text should speak at a very deep level for a long time. See, if you were the Apostle Paul who's facing martyrdom or death, he's he's getting ready to die and he's writing a letter to Timothy his kind of young protege and he's trying to leave with Timothy some wisdom some things that he needs to incorporate in the church and he says you know you stay there and teach these people to not do this and teach these people to do this and here is a trustworthy saying this is something that you should you should preach and teach and do and, and have the church memorize this because this saying is so important so I think to myself if Paul was to give a, a statement a saying that's so important that we should all know. Now I wonder what that would be. So let's, let's examine that a little bit when it gets into verse 15. Here we go. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world. He was not an accidental visitor, he wasn't a great guy that grew up and all of a sudden God spoke to him, but he visited from the Father's side, he came into this world. God took the initiative through Jesus. Jesus took the initiative, and that's the way God always is. We're not left to figure things out on our own, instead God has taken the initiative so that we might know Him, so that we might know grace, so that we might find salvation. See our God is not a static God that stands back in heaven and hopes people figure it out, but our God is hands on. He took the initiative. He took the initiative according to verse 15 to save sinners. He took the initiative to save, not judge not condemn but to save how many times do christians and churches resemble judgments and condemnation and anger and conviction frustration i know there's a lot to be concerned about i know there's a lot to be frustrated about but listen if we're going to follow we're going to follow the example of jesus We need to be people who are in the saving business, people who preach grace. Thank you for the communion meditation today, Mark, by the way. Jesus took the initiative so that he might save. Not judge, not condemn. At the end of the day, the church needs to be in the good news business, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, is the Apostle Paul the worst sinner? I mean, is, is this a humble boast? Is he calling himself the worst and he's just making himself to feel bad, you know, to set an example, is this statement bigger than Paul? Maybe this is a statement that churches have been saying over and over again, and Paul's just pointing out something that people already know, and he doesn't really mean that I'm the worst. Well, the worst is a little bit of a confusion there, because in the Greek text, there's actually not an article. The article would be the word the. Instead, if you were to read that in the Greek, it would say, of whom I am bad or really bad. Not the worst, but a worst one. Paul is not saying, I'm the worst sinner of all. Paul is saying, I'm a major league sinner. I'm a major league sinner. I mean, I'm I'm a big time sinner. How many Christians think that? How many Christians have too high a view of themselves, as if they don't even need Jesus's grace? They think, "Well, I sin sometimes. There's been times I've I've gone through the mall stop signs. You know, sometimes I go a couple." No, you're a major league sinner, like I am too. We need to remember that we're a sinner major league sinner. That's why Jesus came to the world, and that's why Jesus died. (laughs) He didn't just teach for a little while and then go up into heaven in a chariot. He died because you and I are major league sinners. Verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm a major leaguer that's the Andrew uh, version Verse 16 is crucial though but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me a major league center Christ Jesus might display his immense patience you and I and our sinfulness Man, we're an example of God's patience. We don't come together as people who've got it all together. We come together as a wonderful illustration of God's patience. And Jesus handles the sin issue. If you have your Bibles, you could look at first John, first John chapter 1, verses 9. It says this if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, he offers grace and that grace involves our participation. Our participation is confessing our sins. And when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. Now, I do think that Christians sometimes have a problem with not recognizing that they're a major league sinner. I don't think that Paul was especially bad. Certainly he felt bad for holding the coats while the other Jews stoned Stephen. But it doesn't say that Paul picked up a stone and stoned Stephen. It does say that he negotiated a ways to get arrest warrants for these Christians. He was instrumental in their death, but he never got his hands dirty per se. And sometimes Christians have the idea that as long as that I didn't do the deed, but if I thought about it, or if I just withheld, then I'm somehow less guilty than others. That's not how Paul felt. He knew that he was a major league sinner. But now he sees his sinfulness as an expression of God's wonderful patience. I love the humility in this, because it's not a humble boast. You know what a humble boast is, right? It's the, I am, you know, my problem is I am just so humble that people walk all over me. You you see, that's a humble boast. I'm actually telling you how great I am. Paul's boast of his sinfulness actually demonstrates God's graciousness and his patience. I wonder to myself, how often do we make God look good by our lives? How often do we take the attention off ourselves and say, listen, it's God that did that. Maybe your kids say, mom or dad, you just raised us right. You, you were great parents. I have friends that have bad parents, but you did a good job. You have that opportunity and maybe you could say, you know what, it was God. It was God that showed me how to raise you and to have patience with you. I could have killed you when you were young. (laughs) God saved you more than you know. It's God that makes you to be a good spouse and lover. It's God that makes you to be a good parent and grandchild. It's God that makes you to be a good volunteer. It's God that makes you to be a good choir member or elder. It's not about you. Oh, it's God. No humble boast. You're saying, hey, listen, I am a great example of a major league sinner saved by a patient, gracious God. And by the way, if God has shown us such amazing patience, wouldn't that be a good example of how we should treat other people? There's a parable one time about a worker who owed a huge debt and the master was incredible and and wrote off the debt, right? And then that worker goes and he goes to somebody who owes him a minuscule amount and he grabs him by the neck, give me back my money. And when the master heard about it, you know what the master did? He reinstituted the debt. Sent him to debtor's prison because he didn't show the kind of mercy, and I'm going to say patience, that was shown to him. Man, there should not be a Christian who lacks patience because if you're a major league center like I am, what comes around goes around, and I'm going to talk about patience and mercy and grace there. I love how Paul was self, to, um, how he made himself look bad, but he made God to look good. Now, I'm not suggesting that we lower the standards here at Fable Christian Church. That we say, "Oh, listen, we're all sinners, so it doesn't matter. However you want to live is fine. You know, it's fine because we're all sinners. And who am I to judge?" I'm not talking about lowering standards. What I'm saying is. Rather than define things by the lowest common denominator of what we all are, major league sinners, let's elevate our standards to Jesus. Let's elevate Jesus. Does your life elevate Jesus? When people encounter you and engage you, do they come back thinking you're a great person? for the Lord that you serve is a great person. Verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am a major league sinner. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life." And then you see this doxology statement. Now, to the kingdom eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It ends in a wonderful doxology, and I can just imagine this church in Ephesus that Timothy is serving memorizing this verse. Now, there's not going to be a test. I'm not going to expect you to have this memorized by next week, but I I can't imagine a better slogan than this, I can't imagine a better hymn phrase than this, a major league center saved by the patience of God so that God can see, so that people can see God in me. Let me close with this. I still wear a necklace, a Jerusalem cross necklace that my kids bought me for my birthday last year in honor of Bob Tyler. Bob Tyler used to wear this uh, Jerusalem cross necklace. And I said, now what is that weird thing? He says, well, people think it's a Chick-fil-A French fry. Uh, (laughs) You know how Bob is. And uh, of course, Chick-fil-A in this area, everybody knows what a Chick-fil-A French fry is. He said, "But I, I use it I use the necklace as a springboard to talk about Jesus. because people say, what is that? What kind of cross is that?" He said, "That's why I wear this necklace. I wear it so that people can ask me about Jesus. I got that cross. Nobody's asking me about it. I kind of cover it up and you know it, it was a giant Elvis type thing. I, I'm not doing that. but the reason I bring this up is I'm trying to say, that Bob lived his life in such a way that he was looking forward to the opportunity of sharing Jesus in his life. And I would hope that we would all be that way. Let's stand and I want to read this passage one more time and then we'll have our prayer. Are you ready? Here we go. It's verses 15 through 17. You might almost have it by heart now depending on how well you listen. Here we go. Here's a trust, and I'm going to use major league, I should trademark that. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am a major league sinner. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.